Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey kids, welcome to the Friday edition of Just a Game. I am me, you are you, and he is he. Uh, Ryan Pike joining us live from the uh, Scotiabank Saddle Dome as technically the 2000 or 2023 how about that the 2023 trade deadline of the national hockey league has come and gone ryan what's the latest on the local hockey heroes uh very very quiet but a couple of small moves at the end i don't uh, there are no small moves much like there are no small parts just small actors uh the flames at this point have made two moves uh the first move they acquired minor league forward dryden hunt from the toronto maple leafs in exchange for similarly minor league forward redeem zahorna uh Hunt was with the Marlies. Zahorna was with the Wranglers. They switched. They're both probably both going to the AHL. Uh, both guys are pending UFAs. Both guys are forwards. Both both guys are about the same age. Uh, I think it's basically a let's try something a little bit different for the Flames and the Marlies, the minor league level. And if you're the Leafs, you also get a guy who's played the NHL who might have a bit more upside in uh, you know in the minor in the, in the playoffs than you know than Hunt does. Like Zahorna is big and big guys tend to be valued in the playoffs. So it's a, it's a lateral move, I think for both teams. Uh, the other move that just broke, we don't yet have the, the other piece of this trade. It might actually drop while we're talking. Uh, okay. The flames are reportedly, uh, according to sports, it's Elliot Friedman. The, they've reportedly acquired uh, Troy Stetcher from Arizona. We don't know what they gave up to get Troy Stetcher. Uh, Troy Stetcher is a right shot blue liner. So if you were one of the people going, man, the Flames sure could use more defensemen. Uh, it sounds like they got one. Uh, the Hunt trade has been announced by the club, uh, both teams actually, but we're still waiting on the full picture of the Troy, the Troy Stetcher blockbuster. Well, yeah, there's no small actors, but there are. This is not what we would call a blockbuster, but kind of fitting in with things that um, that Brad Living has done in the past. I'm thinking of four board or... Uh, Yoki Pack, uh, you know, serviceable. And I think Stetcher had some good moments in Vancouver, but I would say he's a serviceable NHL defenseman. In your opinion, and, and it's just that, it's an opinion, it's a thought, does this put Dennis Gilbert back down on the farm? Does it put Dennis Gilbert? And I know there's some other things that I'm leading you to, but does this they actually Dennis Den- Gilbert? De- Dennis Gilbert wasn't waived uh, on Thursday, and he wasn't assigned to the AHL before the deadline. So he's in the NHL from here on out. So, uh so it sounds like we'll see. We'll see what else the Flames end up doing. Uh, Stetcher's acquisition could be a suggestion that Michael Stone won't be back anytime soon, and so gotcha. they sort of want to get somebody, you know, a right shot guy with that those kind of qualities that Stone had that they liked. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. At the very least, though, they have. I think this would give them eight NHL defensemen, including Connor Mackey and Dennis Gilbert. Uh, Mackey has been a healthy scratch for all but 10 games. Uh, Gilbert has played over Mackey pretty much since he came back up. And yep. fairly, pretty much in the second half of the season, almost perpetually, it's been Mackey as the seven and Gilbert as the, as the six. So, you know, this insulates them a bit from having to, to lean on Gilbert too much. But, I mean, where the team is at, I don't think they're really going to be you know, sunk or uh, or floated up to the, the playoff bubble by uh, by the presence of Troy Stetcher. 
I did want you to touch briefly, uh, and I'm not sure it's still called the clear day roster, but there were a couple of transactions that we believe to be paper transactions involving some flames, correct? Yep. They've, uh, they have assigned, uh, before the deadline, they assigned Jacob Pelche and Walker Dewar to the American league. Uh, the wide understanding of it is it's probably both of them administrative, uh, to be eligible to play in the Calder cup playoffs, uh, with the Calgary Wranglers. You have to be on the AHL roster, uh, or I guess in the minor leagues uh, in the in their system as of the, the trade deadline, uh, it basically it's meant to prevent NHL clubs from going. Uh, let's just dump all our NHLers in, in the minor leagues for the playoffs. Uh, so they it's sort of the teams are limited, and it's meant to make sure that the AHL is used for development rather than sort of just parachuting AHLers in. So uh, Dewar and Pelche are both waiver exempt, so they were able to just be floated back down. I'm expecting. Uh, floating on the on the uh, the AHL website any minute, we'll see some sort of an announcement about them being returned to the to the NHL roster because right. they they played yesterday. They've neither of whom have been healthy scratches in the last little while, so I would be shocked if they weren't back up. Today. So I'll be I'll be really disappointed in you because you were bragging about having access to a 2013 copy of the CBA. So I'm about to ask you a CBA question: If they are recalled, do they burn uh, recalls for the team? The, they would, yeah. Okay. So how many would the Flames be left with if they bring Pelche and Dewar back up? They would have two left, uh, but the, the, the wink-wink, nudge-nudge thing of the, the late-stage NHL season is, you know, and Rob, you, you've been around. Uh, yep. At this point of year, everyone's hurt, so right. guys are playing through stuff, and if your team is out of the postseason mix and your GM you know, decides he wants to maybe bring a, a body or two up uh, near the end of the season, we usually see this last two or three games of the season, especially with playoff bound teams, you see guys day to day with yeah. something they've been dealing with all for the last like two months. Uh, I suspect uh, if the flames have guys they want to try out in addition to bringing the guys up, they want to bring back up. I don't think there'll be much of a barrier to that. I think they'll have the, the flexibility to do it. I I'd also do think though that they're pretty cognizant that they've got a pretty good team cooking in, in the Wranglers right now. And I don't think they necessarily want to disrupt that too much, but I think they also have a few guys. They want to get a cup of coffee up here and sort of get a sense of where they're at. Uh, I just make note that uh, Ryan is joining us from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome, awaiting to hear from GM Brad Trilliving. So uh, the connection, if it, it, we may lose him at some point, we're hoping not. It's been good so far, but I just wanted to point that out. Um, give you the opportunity. I, I know we're still waiting uh, you know, the old fax machine, pigeons, whatever, the mailman, whoever's finalizing all of this. There's still some deals that can come out. Um, but your overall thoughts on on the last month, Ryan, um, you and I have done this for a long time. This is supposed to be a day where it's, it's slow, it's slow, it's slow, and then all hell breaks loose. All hell has broken loose slowly for the last two weeks, almost every day. What What does this tell you about the league? What does this you know, signal to you in terms of how rosters and, and picks are valued and, and being managed now here in 2023? Well, I mean, the the be-all end-all at this point is cap space. And to be honest, I was a little bit surprised seeing as many 2023 draft picks moved as we did. Uh, you know, yeah. I follow the Western League pretty religiously. I have many friends who work as scouts in NHL organizations and in a lot of these uh, these independent scouting services. Uh, shout out to many of them. They're they're doing they're doing humans work at this point of year. Uh, but it's this is the year that you know we've been hearing about the the oh four oh five oh six draft class. Like the those birthdays are some special players, and you know it's not just the Connor Bedard year. This is the year where you could draft midway through the the first round and get a pretty high quality player. And 
if you're if you're a, a team that thinks you're a piece away, that's that's what you want to that's what you got to roll with. And so I was surprised. I think something like a ten or eleven first rounders in this year's draft got moved during the last two weeks. And considering the quality of the draft class and how much we've been hearing, not just from scouts but GMs. I mean, Brad Living mentioned you know in interviews recently that you know with the Sean Monahan trade. Montreal asked him to put the 2023 pick in the in the trade, and he said no, thank you. And they ended up getting it done anyway. But when GMs are volunteering the information about how good this draft class is, you you know it's something pretty pretty interesting. So, but beyond that, I think we're, I think we've seen a lot more creative moves with how up against the cap ceiling everybody is. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw you know I think. I'd say maybe a half dozen three team trades with retention involved. We've seen, you know, a lot of teams get creative and, you know, for once it's not just Tampa Bay doing weird, creative things. It's, you know, five or 10 organizations deciding let's just get weird. Yeah, but they did like in fairness, they did a boatload for, you know, a tough bottom nine or top nine for whatever you want to look at, you know, you know, the weirdness was still there. Um, you mentioned to the, the the thickness of this draft, especially in the first round, and we know Connor Bedard. If it were to start today, or if if the balls were going to be drawn from the uh, draft lottery, the Flames would be. Uh, is it Lotto eligible at thirteen? Is that how we refer to it? I mean, they could move, I, couldn't they? they? They'd be in the lottery, but they can't move up more than ten picks. So right. at thirteen, they couldn't get higher than. Three, which I mean, at three, you if can still they did, get that'd you know, be the highest they've ever drafted. At, at three, you're still getting like Matthew Mitchkoff or Leo yeah. Carlson or or any number of these really high end players in this draft. So I mean, you know, if if you end up finishing where they look like they're going to finish or close to where they're finishing, like if you're if you end up in that ten to thirteen range and then you win that lottery and you end up settling for like Andrew Cristal or Leo Carlson or Matthew Mitchkoff, I'm sure you're not going to be too sad about it. No. No, um, before and we're still kind of watching the wire. There's a, a few other small deals coming through. No, no notable names at this point. Um, while I've got you, Ryan, I just want to go back to last night. A, a two-one loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I'd be res- I, I, I'd be a little reluctant to refer to it as a heartbreaking loss. It was a loss. They they flipped the script a little bit. They didn't outshoot um, the Maple Leafs. Uh, the territorial advantage was a little bit more even. But the one thing they did get, and maybe too little too late, was a very good performance from Jacob Markstrom. Yeah, it was probably the best goaltending performance they've had from either goaltender since easily since Christmas. Probably maybe one of the better ones they've seen all season. Uh, yeah. The Toronto Maple Leafs have some terrifying players. Like they have, you know, some guys that can absolutely hurt you. And unfortunately, the Flames made, you know, one or two too many mistakes against them and it killed them. I mean, they. They even defensively. I mean, I've been critical of how they played their own zone this season at times. You know, at times they've been very scrambly. I I thought largely they were very good. They played one of their better defensive performances of the year in terms of not giving the Leafs a lot, but the Leafs gave them even less. And when you don't have a a game breaking player like the Leafs have, uh, it's really tough. I believe we've lost our friend Ryan. We we accepted that that was a possibility through this whole thing. Um, unfortunately, we will uh, release Ryan from his duties with us, and Mr. Pike will remain down at the uh, at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. We'll hear from General Manager Brad Living, and in the event that anything else happens, he'll certainly report back to us. 
uh, encourage you to read him because he is the managing editor of Flames Nation, flamesnation.ca. He's had some incredible coverage leading into this uh, date for the Flames and plus post-game coverage. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, we'll do another start, shall we? Uh, just a game. Uh, live, by the way, from the Oodle Noodle Studio. Local love delicious since opening their first store back in 2005. Oodle Noodle has been all flavor and just the right amount of weird. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue, Southwest, West, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. Pickup and delivery. Um, yeah. So Ryan just texted me to tell me the connection's dead. So yeah, there we are. Um, coming up on the program today, in studio, ahead of tomorrow's very important uh, Flames uh, annual first annual indigenous celebration game uh, this has been a story that's been percolating and uh, you probably have seen the jersey uh, earlier in the week the flames uh, celebrated uh, black history month with a a jersey um, that was dedicated to jerome mcginla uh, tomorrow against the minnesota wild they're going to wear a jersey that represents the treaty seven nations of which hey listen the show is is done on treaty seven nation and territory um, we've got lots of friends, and one of them is going to join us in studio, the former uh, hitman, uh, Brent Dodginghorse, who played a rather large role in all of this and, and is playing a, a very big role throughout hockey. And we'll get into that with Dodger. Um, played two years with the Calgary hitman, and I, I swear every time I have this conversation, it's like, he was a five-year hit. He wasn't. He was here for two years. Uh, one of them, they went to the Memorial Cup out in Ottawa, but uh, the Hitmen celebrated their 25th anniversary three or four seasons ago. And I'll tell you, remains to this day arguably the most popular Hitmen of all time. Uh, not only with the fans, but with, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the teammates that he played with, uh, the people around the organization, the, the namesake, Bret Hart. Uh, just a huge fan of the way that Dodger played and and what he brings. And he's doing some really important work. And, and it's kind of on the heels of the conversation we had last week with Perry Bearsan. And that's the, the one thing I will remind you. This is show number six of our return. They are podcasts. So if you've missed any of them, go back. Um, I'm still learning how to do them a little more evergreen and a little less, um, you know, in the moment. Uh, we started with Ryan off the top because trade deadline just ended and the Flames made a couple of small deals. So it was worthwhile. Uh, but for the most part, we're going to try and bring you some long form, uh, what we hope are very interesting, but more importantly, uh, interviews that get you thinking and and challenge some of the uh, the storylines that are out there. So looking forward to having uh, uh, Brent join us here in the Oodle Noodle um studios okay from frank saravelli <laughs> oh good are you serious like is this the real frank saravelli or is it okay stand by kids the flames have traded for troy stetcher and nick ritchie but geez rob what did they give up glad you asked connor Mackey, who they refused to play the coach refused to play and I believe he's he's Nick's brother, correct? Yeah, Richard, Brett Ritchie. They got the better Ritchie. Um, long considered, oh boy. Okay, so they get a defenseman, they get a forward. Uh, definitely the forward is one that uh, Daryl Sutter is going to like. Uh, the defenseman, I think, is one that Daryl Sutter can live with. It is not breaking the bank. Um, they made a small move in the American Hockey League too, so... We were wondering, weren't we, at the beginning of the week, last week, 
Where are the Flames going to go? They had their finest performance of the season ruined with a late overtime goal against the team who leads the National Hockey League and is likely going to set the record for most wins, the Boston Bruins, on Tuesday. I would contend a little bit that yesterday's team looked slightly beaten. They were good. They were, um, you know, in the lead. They weren't overwhelmed. I thought that they gave up some opportunities that they don't normally give up. There was a, a William Nylander breakaway. I think the the second goal was a you know the result of a, a bro you know a, a great play by Toronto, but broken defense and uh, Yarn Croak, the former Flame great, uh, I believe, gets the game winner in that case. But th- there was again, as I, I've often said about this team, they looked motivated. They didn't look inspired. Tuesday they looked inspired. Tuesday they looked pissed off. Tuesday, they looked like they had something to prove. Not unlike the the Ranger game coming out of the All Star break, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. You know, played with some speed, played with some hustle, and and certainly got you know performances from all four lines. I, I have nothing bad to say about Michael Backlund's line. Um, I, I have nothing bad to say about the top four defensemen. Um, I thought the fourth line struggled last night. I thought they were underwater at some times. I was a little surprised to see them. Uh, with a shift late in the game. I think with about three and a half minutes to go, they got another shift. Um, I think that was more a gut faith playing than anything else. Uh, One man's opinion, that's all it is. Um, But I think that team last night tried as best they could after the loss, heartbreaking, whatever you want to say. I think they tried as hard as they can. They just don't believe. I I don't think this team believes. Um, Comment... uh, I believe Julian McKenzie from The Athletic was the person that asked the question, Um, but it was uh, Blake Coleman who kind of took a pause and said, right now we're a really good team that doesn't know how to win. A really good team that doesn't know how to win. That's from a guy who's won two Stanley Cups. He's been on winning teams, was brought here to help this team win. It's pretty evident that this team is broken right now. Um can they be repaired? Can they still get back? And uh, yeah, I think they could, but that's uh, uh, not where I'm, not where I'm betting. Uh, you know, and, and Coleman said played pretty well. He had some opportunities. This was not Blake Coleman, by the way. If you did not hear the entire thing, this was not Blake Coleman throwing his teammates under the bus. Far from it. He pointed squarely at his. And, and there's been accountability with this team: Zadorov, Huberto. Um, you know, Uyghur, uh, Markstrom, Vladar. There's nobody pointing fingers with this team, at least publicly. Um, but it's a pretty damning statement from a leader. You know, right now we're a really good team that doesn't know how to win. So assuming nothing changes and there's nothing else to add here, and I always say that because I was Working a trade deadline, which at about 3.30, the, the Flames acquired Steve Steos two and a half hours after the trade deadline ended. So, you know, it's possible. Um, we're looking at a, a Troy Stetcher, Nick Ritchie uh, for Connor Mackey, Brett Ritchie trade. Um, I hope Mackey goes and 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 gets a second life in, in uh, Arizona. I think there was something to that defense, but I just don't think... Uh, he was a favorite of the coach and as a result didn't play. And I think young defensemen have to play. He would have been better off. Uh, he was too good for the American Hockey League, but he would have been better off in the American Hockey League than sitting on the bench here. So hopefully he gets to play in Arizona. Nick Ritchie has always, you know, Brett Ritchie has always been the understudy to his brother, Nick Ritchie. Now, Nick 
not sure Nick has always been the player that he's capable of, but he will give them some size and presence up front. And Troy Stetcher, right-handed defenseman who's been around the league, assuming that's it. And I have no reason to think anything else has been done. What now? What now for the Calgary Flames? We have postulated, we have predicted, we have opined, we have complained, we have surmised, we have questioned uh, what this team is and what this team would do. Um, I was of the belief that they would add. Um, maybe in the in the future, I should be a little bit more specific. This is probably what I thought they would do. If my study was correct, I don't believe that the Flames have gone through an entire season without an in-season trade since about 1984. I might be wrong on that, but that that's what I thought I found out. Um, so they do something. Is this to make a playoff run? No. Um, I, Wes Gilbertson was uh, from Post Media put out their playoff percentage according to one of the sites is 48.5%, so 50%. Um, this team is still capable of making the playoffs. It needs to go on a run. It needs to get some help. It needs to start believing and having fun and playing and all of those sort of things. Um, but it's, it's there. I mean, it's, it's not 11th or 12th. Uh, I don't blame you. Hey, listen, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm not. The, please do not interpret this as me pumping their tires and telling you to believe and you got to. No, I'm just saying, could they? Yes, they could. Do I think they will? No, I don't. Um, it's a this is a tough week emotionally. This is a tough week emotionally. Now, if they were on the other side of this deal, getting a, you know, giving up a veteran defenseman and, you know, giving up a, you know, a veteran potential top nine forward. I don't know where you view Richie, but for the sake of argument, let's say that they'd be, this is, this is buying at a certain extent. It's not big game hunting, but it's doing something. Um, we'll see, you know, you got to think Stetcher and, and Richie are probably happy to be out of Arizona. So they should add a little jam to this. It's just weird that you traded one brother for the other brother. I find that mind numbingly fascinating yet. Here we are. Yet here we are. That's one option. That's one possibility. That's one storyline worth watching is, okay, 20 games to go or so, what happens? Do they make the playoffs? Mm, it's not a sure bet. Matter of fact, it's below half. Uh, we'll see. Should be interesting tomorrow, though. Could be interesting tomorrow. Uh, the other story is now, what about the general manager who does not have a contract, as we understand it, into next year? Um, don't know about the rest of the hockey operations staff. We do know that the coach is somewhat extended, uh, because of not somewhat he is, he got an extension or somewhat, sorry, brain freeze on a Friday. He is extended. He has an extension. Um, what happens next? I like Brad Tree living really do. Uh, he's a friend of mine. We worked on some projects together. He's always willing to answer my calls. He's always the first person to, when I got this show, he was one of the first people to, to send me a text and congratulate me. So, you know, understand when I'm giving my opinions, I try my best to, to articulate where I stand and, and the relationships that I have with people. I'm a, I'm a fan of Brad Tree living. I would like to see Brad Tree living stay. Um, probably more because I like the man. I think if you look at the record 
Um, and Ryan Pike brought it up earlier, and we'll get into this in just a couple of seconds, but there's ups and there's downs. There's ups and there's downs. There's there's not bad. Con- you, you remember the San Jose Sharks were always that team that you knew could get to the Western Conference final and that you knew was going to roll teams in the regular season but never could get over the hump, never won a Stanley Cup. There was a period of time in which the Nashville Predators were that. You knew they were a playoff team. You knew they were going to go deep. They got to a final, but that's as far as it went. There hasn't been that here. They, they, they won the Pacific last year, and they are potentially out of the playoffs this year. Um, last summer's departure of Goudreau and Kachuk, and we knew it at the time. It was devastating and it was heartbreaking, but it was also impactful. Um, you know, the the gymnastics in which the hockey operations department, led by Brad Treliving, went and tried to recover by getting Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger in a first round pick and and by going out and signing Nas and Kadri, the best anybody could have asked for. The best anybody could ask for. And I I I believe all three of those players potentially are going to be better next year after having a year under their belt, but it has not been the same team again, up and down, up and down. If you're Brad true living, do you want to stay here and continue to fight the good fight? Nobody really talks. It's funny. I, you know, I was not in business when in this business, when Mike Russo with the athletic wrote, uh, about a month ago, six weeks ago, about the Zucker trade, uh, Zucker trade from uh, a couple years ago. He was coming to Calgary, but they couldn't get the trade. The Flames couldn't get the trade approved by Murray Edwards, the owner. Couldn't get it approved by ownership. That is not a debated point. That has been reported. That has been sourced. That is out there. Um, but that's common. I'll guarantee you that Kelly McCrimmon can't do anything without Bill Foley signing off on it. Um, Patrick Alvin can't do anything in Vancouver without Aquilini signing off on it. Holland probably can't do anything up in Edmonton without uh, their owner. This is not scandalous. This is not necessary. You know, this isn't even news, but you do have somebody to answer to. And is that appealing to you? Are there other places you could go where you would have more of a free reign? Are there other places where you would go that you'd have a better building and facilities? Yes, 31 other places. That's the fact. If you're Brad for living, you have been here for almost a decade. You've seen the good. You've seen the bad. You've had four coaches. Is that right? Four coaches for true living? Uh, yeah, that's right. Off the top of my head, that's no five. Five coaches. Because he inherited Uncle Bob and then uh, brought in uh, uh, Gilletson and then Peters and then Ward and now Sutter. So, you know, you, you, you've had opportunities. You made now, I, in fairness, I don't believe Sutter was his hire. That's an opinion, an opinion, my opinion. I don't think that's ever been factual, but I do believe that was ownership management you know, above him saying, we'd like Daryl, he's available. Let's bring him in. That's my opinion. If you're Brad Drew living, do you still want to keep going down that path? What about the coach? He's got his extension, but Daryl Sutter's here to win. He's not here to rebuild. Now, I don't think you have to rebuild, but speaking of vetted, pure approved or pure uh, um, vetted, you know, reporting with sourcing, there's no doubt there has been strife in that locker room this year. 
that the coach has rubbed some of the players the wrong way and that some of the players have not performed for the coach. But he's the one with the extension. The Calgary Flames have some interesting decisions to make here coming up. Remember, if they don't make the playoffs and they sit 13th, 14th, 12th, somewhere there, probably going to have a really good pick, which isn't a bad thing. You know, you want to keep restocking. Who's going to lead it? Who's going to be in charge? What's this team going to look like next year? These are all storylines that we will watch coming up here in the next couple of months. But if you're just joining us in the most Calgary trade of all Calgary trades, they sent Connor Mackey and Brett Ritchie to the Arizona Coyotes for Troy Stetcher and Brett's big brother, Nick. Brother for brother trades. Brother for brother. Of the things that I had on the bingo card, that was not one of them. That was not one of them. Uh, Coming up uh, in probably about a half hour or so, in studio, Hitman hockey legend, Brent Dodginghorse. Really excited about that. Uh, really excited about the work that he's been undertaking. And it, it's going to dovetail into the conversation we had with Perry Bears and last week. It's going to dovetail into some of the conversations we've been having. Uh, but but Dodger brings a lot to the table, and I was really hoping he'd make some time, and he's going to make some time for us. And speaking of which, um, if you've been watching on social media, um, unfortunately, uh, Chris Snow finds himself back in hospital today. Uh, Kelsey Snow, his wife was on social and shared that news immediately reached out. And I said, Kelsey, listen, you, you know, let's re reschedule. Let's rearrange times. You, you know, take care of your husband. The good news is Kelsey thinks she's going to be here on Monday. So right now we are planning to have Kelsey Snow in studio on Monday. And I'm really, really, really looking forward to this conversation. Really looking forward to this conversation. Um, as I do all of them, really, I look forward to all of them. Also next week, since we're going down that path, Peter Marr will join us. Eric DeHatchik will join us. And the owner of the Calgary Surge of the CEBL, Jason Ribeiro, in studio on Friday. Just what the heck does it take to start a basketball team in Western Canada? We're going to find out from Jason. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, uh, friend of the program, longtime friend of everybody, really. Uh, our good friend uh, Kevin Webster from Kidsport is going to join us. Uh, big announcement yesterday, which I am very proud to be part of uh, and very proud to have played a role in. And I want Kevin to uh, kind of share that with everybody. And also um, a little nod to our friend Ken King. Uh, earlier in the week, um, there were some awards passed out. And Ken is a huge part of that. And there's a connection to Kidsport. He is here. He's joining us now. He is, um, I always get this wrong. I mix him up and, and Belks. Uh, hell, let's go with CEO Kevin Webster from Kids Sport uh, Calgary, also the Calgary Flame Sports Bank. Are you there, sir? Can you hear me? I am me? here. There you are. How are you? I'm great. Yes. How are you? I am, well, somewhat stunned that the Flames were participants in a brother for brother trade. <laughs> I saw that or heard yeah. that. It's never dull, is it? Yeah. It's never dull. They won't, uh, speak- have to, they won't have to worry about accommodation. They can just leave the keys, I guess, right? Well, what I want to know is if if he's just going to wear his brother's old number, right? Can we just leave the do we just leave the nameplate up the whole nine yards, right? Roughly the same size. He can use his gear. It wouldn't be the first time, right? Yeah. He's all of these things, cost cutting measures, one might say. Uh, anyway, it's it's wackiness. I'm glad you could join us, Kev. 
what I really want to talk about is what you announced yesterday, which is Project Ref. Um, I'm really proud of this. I'm really excited about this. I should start this entire conversation off by letting everybody know I am a, a board member for Kids Sport Calgary and the Calgary Flames uh, Sports Bank. I'm also a partner in, on a lot of projects with Hockey Calgary. Uh, but you announced Project Ref yesterday. Tell me about Project Ref. Yeah, I'm, yeah, we're all pretty excited about, I think, getting this off the ground. And this is the the first of its kind for, for Kidsport and um, something locally here that we started talking about, you know, towards the end of last year. And um, some of the conversation was around, you know, how do we, you know, help kids stay in sport? Um, how do we further help the demographic that Kids Board and the Flame Sports Bank set up to help, which is low-income families in our community, um, to ensure that their kids um, can access sport and continue to look at sport as an opportunity for them. And uh, we started the conversation about officiating and refereeing and what that could look like. And when you look at the opportunity to maintain a path in sport, maybe different from what some kids look at as a normal path in terms of being a competitor um, that becoming an official gives them an opportunity to earn an income and very flexible part-time job um, contribute in their household um, and learn another layer of amazing life skills that sport can help with when you think of the the conflict management and resolution and negotiation skills and um, dealing with uh, people in, in an emotional setting that um, becoming an official um, can help kids um, just add more skills. How did it all come about? Because individual sports, I think, you know, can sometimes pull off projects like this. But to me, the strength of this is that you've got the two biggest participation sports in terms of youth sport in our city with hockey Calgary and Calgary minor soccer involved. And and that to me just adds strength to this program, doesn't it? Yeah. And those, those are the biggest two sports for us in terms of where we're supporting kids uh, with registration fee assistance uh, and equipment. Um, so those are the right ones for us to start with. Uh, we, we need to understand for each sport, how the officiating process works in terms of becoming certified, um, getting on a field or in a gym or on a court um, on the ice um, so we wanted to start that process with hockey and soccer because we knew we had the most amount of current athletes that we could reach out to. Um, but we also want to make sure it's available to other sports. So we've begun, you know, the conversations with lacrosse and basketball, um, and we'll continue those as families come to us and showcase uh, which sports um, m- may be the ones they want to pursue. I think one of the the interesting results of of some of the polling that that both groups did was that there's an int- there's a strong interest from kids who are receiving support from kids sport to to get this opportunity because again you mentioned it being an official is is great it teaches you those skills but it's also a part time job right so th- that can help out a family that can help out you know you know the the social situation but to me it was also really refreshing or refreshing to hear you know, soccer parents saying, yeah, my kid wants to try other sports as an official, that we might have that cross-pollinization, that it might be a kid who, who gets support for kid sport to play soccer, but he might go ref basketball or hockey or something. Yeah, I think that's really cool about this project. This, you know, many of those skills of becoming an official are are transferable um, and the opportunity, you know, to look across different sports, different seasons, 
um, that fit within their schedules um, for young kids that uh, want to get started. And this is is really exciting. Um, of the group we surveyed, I think we've had 64 responses so far. 61 of them said they want to pursue this. Um, and I think there's 15 or 18 different sports, many of them putting two or three different sports um, besides beside their name with uh, what they might want to pursue um, in learning another level of that sport and, and education and, you know, what could be another path for them uh, when it comes to sport. Kev, I, I do want to point out that, um, you know, we mentioned, you know, hockey Calgary and Calgary minor soccer, but uh, for those who don't have kids in sport or, or have never really gone down this path, they're not ultimately responsible for the education and the scheduling of officials, are they? They, they have partners in which they have to bring into this conversation. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we're you know going to go through and learning with each sport is is how that's managed differently. Um, both hockey Calgary and Calgary Minor Soccer have third party groups. The Alberta Soccer handles officiating on the soccer side, and from a hockey side, there is an officiating group under Hockey Alberta that looks after this. So we're going to you know use Hockey Calgary and the Calgary Minor Soccer Association as our kind of conduits um, and voice to those groups, and and hopefully. You know, when we look at soccer, I think they have five clinics coming up. So we've worked with Carlo and his team to have some spots already held for kids, sport families and their kids. Um, and hopefully as the interest for this grows, um, we'll be able to go back and advocate for additional camps or clinics if if these ones fill up, which would be a huge success and a, and a big win for the families we assist, but also for the sport as recruiting and retaining officials is a challenge for for a lot of sports. So if this can open a new pipeline of potential referees and officials, then, uh, then that's a big win. I, I, to me, what excites me the most about it is it, it should open up a conversation too, that you just touched on arguably one of the biggest crises in all of sport. We can talk about the issues that are going on with NSOs and safety and, and they are very important, but just as important is the recruitment and retention of officials. And we are we are faced with some very staggering statistics. Um, it, it's not rosy in some cases. There are some positives, uh, but to me, this this should also Project Ref should also be a, a kind of a launch point for conversations. And I know for myself, I've already written a manifesto. I mean, I I know what I want to do is a launching point for this conversation. But we we really got to reevaluate how we view. Um, the role of referees in, in minor sports. They, they aren't there to be yelled at and screamed at. And, and you and I had a conversation about it. You coach, you coach your son's team. Um, you know, they're, they're going to make mistakes. And, and this isn't anybody saying that they should be hands off or anything like this, but we, we need to get back to understanding that if you're a coach of a minor hockey team, you're developing your players and you take great pride in that. Take some pride in developing these young men and women, you know, on the ice or on the pitch as well. And, the conversation, and again, I, I'll get to it, but, you know, yeah, there's not nobody saying we shouldn't talk to our refs. Nobody's saying we shouldn't get accountability from our referees, but it's, you know, we got to tone down some of the rhetoric and the screaming and the cursing and stuff. Without a doubt. And I, I know I'm fortunate to coach both my daughter and my son's team and my son's U11, so a little more competitive. Mm. Um, and I know with the group of coaches that I'm fortunate to stand behind the bench with, the uh, that is a conversation we've had. We tell the kids to control what you control and we tell them the officiating's our responsibility to have those conversations. But if we start yelling at the refs about a missed offside or a trip, 
that steam rolls into the kids and they're so far distracted. Um, they think, you know, the game's now in someone else's hands. Um, so yeah, whenever we've had conversations, it's been a coach at the side of the board and asked the refs to come over and we're not arguing the call to change. We want them to be able to explain it to us. Cause I do think there is a role that we play, yep. um, as adults and, and coaches in, in not only asking them to have that conversation, which is a value, but having them formulate their thoughts into why they made the call or what they thought when they were making the call. Um, and we leave it at that. Like we want them to explain it. We're, we're not going to Toronto to get it reviewed and overturned. Um, but we do want to explain because I do think it's valuable um, as part of the process. And we want to understand as well when we, you know, can tell the kids in practice or after the game, um, our thoughts on, you know, maybe how that impacted the game. So. Um, before we, I, I do want to revisit this one one more time, but before we do that, um, also this week, the announcement from Ken King's family that uh, his legacy will continue on. And I know part of that legacy continues with kids sport and in some awards that you're able to give out. Yeah, this is a really cool program and one we're honored to play a role in um, helping steward Ken's legacy in, in our community. He was um, such a strong advocate for um, sport and just uh, healthy living and getting kids active. Um, so each year through the Ken King Community Awards, um, through the King family and the Calgary Flames Foundation, uh, we will be granting 10 um, scholarships, basically, mm-hmm. um, which is just an additional stream of funding that goes to kids sport families. Um, so right now, a family can access up to $500 for a year of sport. Right. Um, through us, um, this will give them additional funding that they can use for not only sport registrations, but they can use it for coaching, they can use it for equipment, um, whatever that next kind of lever is for them to, you know, continue down their sporting path. Um, we, we had a young lady, Adeline, speak at our donor appreciation luncheon on Tuesday, and she was amazing. And um, this grant has opened the door to her to some new sports. So she's now curling, which she had never done before, and she loves it. Um, so if we can do that and inspire kids to try something or pursue something a little bit further through Ken's legacy, then that's um, that's going to create a lot of very cool stories um, in Ken's name um, that are going to live on in this community. And just having Adeline stand at the podium and share her gratitude, you can see, you know, what giving back um, for a young um, athlete means um, and that's a big part of this award is they have to apply and show not only what they're doing in sport but they have to show us what they're doing in the community um, as that's you know in the name of the community um, awards and we want to make sure there is a portion um, that the winners are showing us that they're kind of going outside of their competition or practice side of sport and and doing something else to make sport better or their community better love it um, before I let you go project ref launched yesterday uh, it is for uh, kids 14 and above that are uh, that have received kids sport funding in the past year. What else do you need, Kev? Is, is, do you need to hear from anybody? Is there any resources or anything that you can use to help support this project? If somebody's listening today and they want to get involved or if there's another sport that wants to get involved, what do you need? Yeah, I think it's just that conversation, Rob. Um, you know, as we we're going to be sending out a kind of a submission of interest form out to all our families next week. As we start to collect those, um, we'll be looping in directly with those sports. There's some sports that we're 
more aware of how the process might work. And then there's other sports we don't even know where to start. So that's where we'll be reaching out to the sports and saying, okay, we've got three kids interested in that want to officiate Taekwondo matches. Um, how do we get them started down that path? Um, so there's, there's lots of conversations. If there's people in Calgary and area that, that want to be part of this, we'd love to um, have that conversation. I, I know there's interest even outside. Of, I spoke with Pincher Creek minor soccer this morning who loved the concept and um, would love to learn more as we get through the pilot on how we could, can help them right now. They, they pay for kids to learn officiating. So there is no cost, but they would like to access, you know, a program like this so they can decrease the costs of, of soccer in general through eliminating that line item in their budget. So I think we've really just got started with this. Um, I think the impact this can have on not only the families we support, but the community and some of the stories this will um, generate and hopefully keeping kids in their sport or playing sport or just involved in sport um, period, I think uh, is really exciting and something uh, we can't wait to kind of turn the chapter on to see where it goes. Well, congratulations. I'm really excited to be part of this. Really excited, really excited to, um, you know, champion this. And when you get off the line here, I'm going to go on a, uh, on a little bit of a rant. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant. Um, because this is really important, but my rant is mine, not yours. You guys have done the work. This is my part now. Yeah. And, and it, you know, this doesn't get off the ground, Rob, without um, the excitement you showed for it. And just the realization oh, as, as this was just an idea, um, as we talked at the, the board table um, in December, it was pretty quick within that conversation that you know, there was more to this and something that we really needed to um, give a good, um, effort and make sure that we, you know, here in 2023 can, can see exactly where this, this can go. Kev, I appreciate it. Uh, we will remain in touch, but congratulations on the launch of this project. Yes. Thanks for everything, Rob. And good luck with the rant. <clears throat> oh, the rant's coming, baby. There you go. <laughs> Kevin Webster. He, uh, is the CEO of Kidsport Calgary and area and the Calgary flames sports bank. Um, I'm really excited about this. I wrote about it today. Uh, why this is important to me and and it, i am very passionate about it. it without officials these aren't games they're scrimmages now we watch and filter everything through the big clubs and the nhl and major league soccer and the world cup and they are held to a, an insane you know uh standard and uh we watch most of our sports now probably more in in um in slow motion than we do in real time because we're you know we've got reviews of everything the, the super bowl felt like it took forever because we were reviewing everything and watching everything and i get that and that's necessary and there's a lot on the line and all that sort of stuff but over the years we have just grown numb and accept the fact and this is the part that pisses me off the most we accept the fact that it just seemingly is okay for adults to abuse kids for adults to phys- to uh, verbally accost boys and girls that are trying to learn how to be officials. And if you think I am being hyperbolic here, if you think I'm trying to make a point, I'm not. I am not. The leagues, the officials, everybody tries to do this. Now, you can say to yourself, you can say to me, and I've heard this before, but Rob, 
they made such a bad call or Rob, they're, they're yelling at me. They're arguing with me. Ah. There is no good reason to scream, yell, and curse at a preteen or a teenager who is officiating a game. You were doing nobody any good. You were making yourself look silly. It's ridiculous. Yet we've tacitly said, ah, have at her. Sure, there's some fines when it gets over the top. There are stories all the time. There's a story about a former NHL referee that tried to chase, well, did chase two officials after a game recently into a dressing room. Okay? It's got to stop. It's a societal thing. It's all of us together. I get it. We're angry, all these things. We feel like we have a right to yell, and we feel like we have a right to go over the top. But it's abusive. You guys, and I'm talking to you coaches, and yes, I'm a very, I'm very acutely aware of who the, you know, the people in the wrong are. And I know it is not, I'm not paintbrushing all coaches. I am not, but I'm kind of tired of tiptoeing around it. And I'm kind of tired of just pretending that it'll go away. Hockey Canada has tried to address it. Other sports have tried to address it. There's signs in arenas, parents, coaches, players. We've just come to accept this abuse. And it's costing us good officials. Okay? So what can we do? We need to create a conversation. We need to create a situation in which coaches feel empowered to talk to officials, where coaches feel like they're, they're developing the referees in the same way that they're developing players. That's one thing. We got to get elite teams involved. We do. And 10 years ago, I spoke at the hockey summit and we had a long conversation. And I said, what we need to do is we need to take all of our elite hockey teams. It was a hockey summit. We need to take all of our elite hockey teams and we need to go visit and talk to the 20 year olds about coaching and refereeing. They've gotten so much out of this game. If they've gotten to an elite level, they've traveled, they've gotten so much out of this game. We need to put the bug in their ear about giving back. And a lot do. I, there, there are a lot of, Kyle Raymond's a friend of mine. Kyle Raymond is an NHL referee. Kyle Raymond was a junior A player who didn't start officiating until his junior career was over, got into officiating, got fast tracked in the NHL. That happens. Cool. But we need to start getting elite teams and elite programs and leagues to take the lead on this. Take your players, your entire team in your training camp, Take a day away from practice and go take a basic officiating course. Take a basic refereeing course. A, it's going to make your players better, but B, it might also give a couple guys a taste of something that they can help with. But be leaders. Get out there. And I know that there's some that are prepared to do that. Absolutely know that there's some prepared to do that. We need the proper resources. Like Kevin and his group. They're going to get the coaching. They're going to get the mentorship. They're going to get all everything they need to develop to be an official. But we also need to give, make sure that they've got resources. And I'm talking about mental health resources. That's what I'm talking about. Now, I'm not going to speak like I know exactly what is provided to officials and referees, but I know we need to support them. When you look at the rates, the dropout rates, uh, when you look at, at just the, the way that some kids are and some adults even are, are, are just taken to the woodshed by coaches and families. And, and again, two sides of the story. I get that, but we got to make sure we're supporting these kids. And it would be really great if the world cup or FIFA, the NHL, 
if we got some more coaches to understand how it trickles down to the bottom of the pyramid, the top of the pyramid, everybody watches. But what happens is the bottom of the pyramid, everybody emulates. And we see it all the time, snap shows and gong shows with guys beating up or screaming at referees and all that. We need somebody at the top to say it's not okay. We need somebody at the top to take responsibility because I will absolutely guarantee you that by not going crazy on an official, by not screaming at a 12-year-old kid, male or female, you are not going to lose a point. You think you're going to gain points if you think you're further ahead because you're screaming at kids in minor sports? You've missed the point. Project Ref. I'm sure my next guest would even agree with me. He is here, and I see absolutely zero reason to wait any longer before we introduce my dear friend, my brother, a man who's played a, a huge role in some things that are happening in our game, happening in our city, happening in our uh, province and country. Brent Dodging Horse is a former hitman who played 103 games and put up 81 points, but his playoff numbers are even better. 33 games, including the Memorial Cup, 33 points. I mentioned it before. The former hitman forward, when we did our 25th anniversary, remains the single most popular player in the history of the franchise. He is kind enough to join us now. I do want to point out he is an Indigenous and Diversity Sports Advisor, motivational speaker. He's an all-around good guy. Dodger, how the heck are you? Really good. I got a little bit lost while I was here in Martelouk, but I made it, and I'm so happy to see you, Rob. It's been a while. I'm so happy to see you. Um, congratulations, first of all. Um, tomorrow, the Calgary Flames will host their first annual Indigenous celebration game, and you've had a bit of a role to play in this, haven't you? Well, I think it's been a long time coming. We've talked about this day for you you and I know and also Jordy about this for a long time. And yep. I'm glad this day's here. The Flames committed to uh, making this day an annual event. And uh, yeah, I've had uh, the opportunity. The Flames called me and asked me to be a part of it. And uh, I'm not going to take full credit, but I'm going to say that we uh, orchestrated a team, a team of uh, Treaty 7 representation uh, we also, uh, um, we included the chiefs and their delegates and uh, elders and traditional, the protocols of our traditional Indigenous people to be in, involved in certain aspects. And uh, it's really a group effort, I believe, in, uh, you know, the team sport. And I, I truly believe that every single person that helped us uh, make this event happen has a special gift or a voice and we use the the committee and uh we let the committee and and the flames partnership really come up with this uh this event it's an indigenous celebration and it's going to be i think it's going to be uh it's it's going to be good it's it's going to be a good day lots of different pieces i want to ask you about but i do want to ask a little bit about bringing all seven nations together to be part of this that's not necessarily common in something like this is it no, I, uh, I'll be flat out honest. There has been some, uh, uh, you know, um, every nation hasn't really saw eye to eye on the political level, mm -hmm. but, uh, I've been along, I've been in and around leadership for a long time. And I, and I definitely know sports and the game of hockey brings everybody together. And this, I really took it, um, I took it serious. I took this as an opportunity to uh, to really um, showcase our Indigenous youth, but also empower them and also learn from the past of uh, some of the uh, 
um, the Rondoons from Canada, what they did to our, uh, our Indigenous people in uh, reconciliation. Um, some of our survivors, uh, most all of our survivors have a, you know, a really story of strength. Right. And that's, that, that's very important. So, you know, just to bring this group together and to, I guess kind of to be a little bit of a quarterback along with my, uh, my, my, uh, my team and all the individuals to be a part of it is something special. And to see all the chiefs come together and all the indigenous uh, leaders mm -hmm. uh, support this event. I think it's not about a competition. Let's make that clear. It's not a competition. It's just about doing the right thing. Right. Uh, we'll get to the, the jersey and the logo in a second, but you said something about truth and reconciliation in that conversation. And this is, to me, this is one of the best places to have it. Is it not? Sport can be that conduit for those conversations that we have to have. Well, I'm so grateful that the TRC uh, reconciliation and at the Flames, they call it reconciliation. And you know about that. Yeah. The calls to action 87 to 91 are based around sports. And uh, 91 is business, but uh, 87 to, to 91 is based around sports, educating, telling um, our unique stories, educating people on uh, uh, the survivors and empowering our youth. So I think this is a really good opportunity to, uh, for the Flames to, that have a national audience and a global audience to really show the strengths of the Indigenous communities. And I'm so proud of this, uh, this group there's so many people to name that have been a part of it. Um, I will not take credit for it. There's a group uh, that's been involved and a group that's been um, guiding us along the way. And uh, it just goes to show you if you work together and everybody has that voice and that unique uh, gift mm -hmm. that we all share our, uh, our, our knowledge that good things can happen. You, you won't take credit for it. But you do have some amazing patience, right? That, you know, that's what you bring to the table is you, you want to help people understand the why, right? They can't just be, well, we want to do this. We need to do this. We're not checking a box. This can't be about checking a box, Brent. There, there has to be a why here, right? Well, one of the main things is the elders' teachings, the halukwa, the elders' teachings. And you have to be able to understand the past, and understanding the past is everybody has a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And it's important to listen to everybody in that circle. And once you listen to everybody and you empower their voice and their gifts, that everybody will come up with a unique, uh, a, a unique opportunity or a unique story. And that's how we, we looked at it. And when that opportunity came, we formed a group and we just really talked about what we want to accomplish here. And that's to empower the youth, but also tell the story of the residential school um, survivors and tell their story through their their eyes. And I think uh, the ECM game and Tyler White and his group really did a good job. And you were you were behind that too. So I really I think <clears throat> that good things are happening in the sports world, and it's given us an opportunity to uh, to to say it our way, right. our version, our way. What, and again, if you don't agree with me, please tell me. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. What I think we have done is, is use that game platform as a place to ask questions, to learn that, you know, come meet somebody, talk, especially the ECM games. You know, there were traditional foods, there were teepees, there were elders there. It's important that this is a dialogue, right, Brent, that that when we talk about residential schools, when somebody who's ne- they don't know anything about it or they hear about it, or they feel like, oh, you know, that's in the past. It's about that dialogue, right? Yeah, I think like you said it right there, even at the DH Ranch and everybody that tells their story, I think the most important thing mm-hmm. um, to, to be an ally, whether it's diversity or whether it's an indigenous ally, is just to to listen, to yeah. be open to the story, and to have understanding, and also to have empathy. Empathy to understand what they've been through, what Indigenous people have been through. And some of the atrocities that happened to our people, we're not supposed to be here. But I want to, I'm not asking for pity or I'm not asking for sympathy. All I'm asking for is understanding to hear our stories. And, you know, I, I want to encourage all... Uh, the people of color and all the people of the indigenous backgrounds to be proud of themselves, be proud of their language, be proud of their lawn hair, be proud of their, their color. And, you know, also sports diversity, whether they identify as whatever they want to identify as be proud. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the, the importance of the, the logo and, and the Jersey. We have a picture of a very handsome man, uh, uh who was modeling this yesterday. Um, but I look at that jersey. First of all, it's Blasty, and I love Blasty, but it's yeah. not Blasty. Tell me about that that logo. Well, Richard Run and Rabbit and uh, Mr. Alexis, um, I give them all the credit. They come up with the design. Um, I think what they're really doing is indigenizing it mm-hmm. and making it into uh, something that's appealing to indigenous people. They added the eagle feather, which is uh, very important to our culture. The eagle feather or the eagle is the closest animal to the creator. And they also added some paint on there. And our people are are connected to the horse. Right. And part of the paint is around the left eye. And, you know, traditional knowledge goes back to a relay racing, but not only relay racing, but the connection to the horse. The horses are a spiritual animal to indigenous people, and we have that connection. So it does mean a lot. There's some details in the, um, in, in the jersey that people don't see, but I think as you really examine the the mountains and the pictures of the mm-hmm. doorstep of the, of, of the mountains, and it symbolizes the Treaty 7 territories of the 
the seven First Nations out here. It has a symbolic picture of uh, the the Calgary Tower, which is you know symbolic to Calgary, but it also symbolizes the the buffalo feet on there that are walking, and that's very important to our people as well. The shoulder patch is circular, which is important, but also seven feathers representing the seven nations, correct? Yeah, correct. So when Jacob and uh, Richard Run and Rabbit designed that, it came back to the committee, but it was really cool because what it what it's doing is bringing all Indigenous people together, mm-hmm. but it's also representation of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which consists of Siksaga, Pagani, and Kainai, the Tsutana Nation, but also the Stony Nakoda First Nations of Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Good Stony. And, you know, it's, it tells a story yeah. and that story is huge because the circle represents everybody, mankind, human, that we're all one. And, um, you know, there's also representation in there of the, of the colors of the black, yellow, um, red and white. And to me, that symbolizes the circle of life and the, the people, and there's different types of identities in this world, but we're all one, uh, you know, all different colors. I, I want to break off a little bit. We'll come back to the game, but to talk about that with you, because I think it's unfair sometimes to refer to you as just a, uh, uh, an indigenous uh, advisor, because you are really at the heart of it. It's diversity for you, right? That, you know, we were having a conversation long before COVID about every, this sport, a, any sport, needs more representation of the people in its community. So it goes beyond just, you know, your own people for you, right? Well, you hit it right there. I think when we had that conversation at the Saddle Dome many years ago, it's it's about my passion is sports, Indigenous sports, but also diversity. And sports diversity goes well beyond Indigenous people. It's uh, BIPOC, BIPOC, but also people of color, but also identity. People that identify as two-spirit in the game and mm-hmm. respect in that, uh, respect in their identity because 70% of Calgary is uh, Caucasian or white, 30% are uh, beautiful cultures and languages, and some of them are mixed, and 5% is Indigenous. So it's important that we know these numbers, yep. and it's important that we realize that it's in sports, everyday sports. and. At the end of the day, I wanted to be able to tell my story through the Western League or through pro or through uh, Mm -hmm. minor sports and tell them what I went through as a hockey player, but also give them uh, self-awareness checks or self-awareness talks that how we can be better people and how we can be better allies of uh, people of diverse uh, backgrounds. Tell me about the journey. You know, it's now going on five into six years for you that you've gone down this path. What have you learned and what has surprised you about being a champion in that area? Um, What I've learned is there's a lot of allies out there and there's a lot of sports allies out there. Um, I just encourage people to really be passionate about what they do. And uh, what I've learned is this sports journey has taken me to so many places, to Edmonton, to talk with ex-Oilers, to right to the Saddle Dome, to talk with uh, current um, NHL players, to be able to travel and really tell my story, but to have an understanding that there's a lot of people out there that are going through similar situations as myself. And, um, you know, whether I talk to 
800 people or 2000 people and we help them or we help one person or help five people, the fact that we talk to 2000 people, they're going to go home and talk to four or five people at the dinner table. And then it's, it's, it's not computer education. It's one-on-one education to where it it means more. It's, it's impact initiatives that uh, are really meaningful. Define ally for me or allyship, because I think that I, I get a little frustrated with box checking. I get a little frustrated with groups that, um, and, and I gotta, I, I'm going to bounce one off here in a little while, but I think sometimes we don't know exactly what it means to be an ally. It's not necessarily writing a check or it's not necessarily, you know, having a day, right? In your eyes, Brent, what's being an ally? I get asked that question quite a bit. Somebody calls me up and they say, Dodger. Um, I can't afford to write somebody a check. I own a business and I get a lot of, and I want to be an ally, but I can't afford it. I'm going through tough times right now. Yeah. And we start talking about it. And I said, in order to be an ally, you don't just have to write checks. You have to be able to listen and you have to be able to just sit and understand their journey. And by understanding their journey and listening and having that communication like eye to eye and really paying attention and just to say, thanks, thanks for telling me your story. I really appreciate it. That goes a long way. And to have that understanding and that empathy, but also that encouragement, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, cash or checks. It, it could really be just encouragement or uh, s- spreading more knowledge of, uh, of, uh, you know, I read a book about this certain person. You may, you may, uh, I know this connection or this nonprofit foundation. And it's really just being a good person, but also listening and also having that ability just to understand. But also to spread the message too, right? Oh yeah. To be that person who's in the dressing room when something goes sideways and stops and says, no, no, no. Yeah. Here's why. Right. And one of the biggest things that we talk about is to be an ally is, uh, I used the example of Jerome McGinley when I played with Jerome and Kamloops is when he saw something that was, wasn't correct. He had that ability just to say, no, that's not going to happen in here. That's not how we do it in Kamloops. And here's the reason why. And he'll stop it right in his tracks. So, and that's part of my sports presentation is for coaches, for uh, managers, for refs. When you see something that's happening in the dressing room, in the parking lot, our own social media. I, I think it's what you're doing is just empowering these allies to step up and say, hey, that's not right. We don't do that here. And I think by being a sports ally, that that means a lot. Because when I was playing hockey, it I played hockey at a time where there wasn't a whole lot of people that were backing up mm-hmm. what I'm, you know, what I'm talking about yep. because I played hockey at a time where I couldn't speak up. If I spoke up, I would be out the door and I didn't have many allies that were supporting me. There were some there, but they just didn't know what to do. So I really encourage coaches, refs, managers, owners to, to take some sports diversity courses, listen to uh, how to be an ally and just uh, have that understanding because it's important to speak up when that happens in the dressing room and it's important to get some training and it's also important to talk about it. How can we be better allies? Dodger, why is language important? Well, 
language is so important in the sports world. Um, through my indigenous background, I've been painted with a brush of uh, being lazy, stereotypes. And when that happens in the dressing room or the sports world or the work world, that encourages not a good behavior. So language and communication is very important. If you hear that language going on in the dressing room, you have to be able to stop that right then and there. One of the issues that I've always had is uh, sports diversity training for our younger athletes, 18 and under. Uh, Canada, uh, Alberta, and Calgary, they put a big emphasis on training um, adults and coaches and refs. But we need to be able to train our younger generation so they have the tools too. I'm pretty sure that our younger population um, outnumbers us right now. (laughs) And they almost have the solutions in their back pocket and they're very uh, adapt to technology. So it's very important that we use the right language around them. Um, You talked about tone Mm -hmm. and you talked about the, the proper communications. At the DH Ranch, when we do our communication workshops, um, you know, I talk about racism and discrimination. And when it was used against myself, what are the four, some of the four things that I use is when discrimination or racism happens to a person of color, what are the four things that we do? We either fight. So we either fight, fist fight, because that's what I did my whole life, flight. So we leave, we quit the game, or we freeze that we don't talk, or we fond, we hide behind our coaches, our parents. So it's very important that, uh, you know, racism and discrimination, they do cause mental, uh, mental wellness issues and mental health issues that we have to be able to talk about it openly. And you did talk about the coaches that are coming in there and yelling and screaming, or the parents yelling in the stands, that doesn't help. Nope. Yeah, it really doesn't. I almost refer it to, uh, I work with equine animals and Mm -hmm. the horse is the teach the teacher. And if we come in the dressing room and we're very clear and we're very uh, open about our conversations and the tone that the horses listen. And if we're walking beside them and not staring down at them, the horses listen. It's almost the same with uh, athletes and, and young, younger generation of people. But if we're staring right at a horse and we're yelling at them, what is that horse going to do? They're going to fight, flight, fright, or fond. And it's important that that communication is proper and that uh, we work together with these young athletes about voice communication and body language. If I'm coming at you and I'm intimidating intimidating you, a young athlete or a horse is going to be frightened. Right. So we have to be able to stand with them and we have to have that proper communication. Right. Well, it, you know, not to get off topic, but one of the biggest lessons I ever got learned by coaching kids is get down to the level. Like, yeah. you know, just what you did there, like you're, you're, you know, if you're going to kind of be over top and you're loud and everything, what do you expect to happen? Right. Yeah. We were taught, I don't, I don't know how to label it, but we were taught to stand on benches mm-hmm. and look down at our players. But Imagine if we were eye to eye with them or opening the gates and just talking to them and not always yelling at them and they're looking up to us all the time. Right. So we have to see things from their perspective and kind of just sit with them and be eye to eye. Sometimes if you're with younger, um, younger athletes, just get down in the knee and talk to them and see how you're doing. Don't look down on them, but see to their, uh, what, see what they're going through. 
why are land why is land acknowledgement important well you know i really had this conversation <laughs> i always have this conversation but myself most importantly i see the big picture there's a big picture of uh every day i think of a big picture the big picture is the youth uh diversity um and empowerment empowering our youth and then i have this uh graph chart so that's about 70 or 80 percent initial like uh diversity initiatives and empowerment then i have this graph that says about 15 to 20 percent of uh land acknowledgements and that's very important too because you're recognizing the past mm -hmm. but you're also recognizing the traditional territories of the first nation people the first nation people been uh long here before canada was here and these are their territories and it's important that we understand their culture their language their leadership their values and their people because when treaty was signed in 1877 the leaders of this day chose peace and when they chose peace and they signed what was the biggest miscommunication to that day was miscommunication mm -hmm. Each leader had their own language. Each leader had their own understanding. But at the end of the day, um, when that 1877 treaty was signed, it brought newcomers to this this uh, this area yep. or these areas of Canada. And then along comes sports. But we also had traditional games in First Nation Indigenous cultures that brought us together. And these traditional games eventually evolved into... Uh, you know the modernized hockey mm -hmm. era now and that's why it's so important that is we must work together and we must uh we must you know it's it's very important so these land acknowledgements are uh are really just uh to recognize our indigenous people but also recognize the past recognize the for what our people have been through but it's also to move forward together and when we move forward together we're working together and we're educating people and we're we're walking side by side and it doesn't matter your skin color it doesn't matter your identity it's it's what's it's the beauty of uh sports and hockey it brings everybody together it's about respect that's right it's about respect yeah all right hockey rodeo which is number one um 50 50 is it oh yeah i I'll go rodeo. Rodeo's been in my blood since I was born. Yeah. My great grandpa won the Calgary Stampede in 1953. Um, we've always ranched. Uh, they, they, it's been a part of me my whole life. I've team roped. I've, uh, I'm a header and healer. I, I, I won a few championships in the steer wrestling. It's just part of me. It's who, who I am. But hockey is definitely my passion. Um, I've had an opportunity to play hockey and it's taken me many places. I've met so many uh, awesome people and uh, I just, I'm at a stage now where in my life where I'm able to uh, give back, um, work with the youth, educate, um, build awesome partnerships and good friends. But you mentioned technology before. Did I see this correctly? You have a daughter with millions of tiktok views is this correct who's in rodeo well that'd be my daughter and my wife both yeah okay so they they go under uh sonia dodge yeah 
and she's got a platform of uh, her platform is really just empowering and telling the story about the DH Ranch, but also telling the story about uh, MMIW, telling the resilience of uh, Indigenous people, um, also talking about uh, uh, Every Child Matters mm -hmm. and the movement there. Yep. She's really about education. Yeah. So she's been in education for 21 years, and she uses, uses a TikTok platform to really educate and empower people and uh yeah she's got millions and millions of views on sonia dodge and i'll tell you what i was very hesitant to be on tech on tiktok because <laughs> yeah. i i've got a face for radio and, <laughs> hallelujah uh, brother i'm right yeah. there with you <laughs> <laughs> so i hated tiktok at first but i think if it's in the proper hands sure. and it's used properly that it's a good tool um nowadays i'm old school i used to call them role models but nowadays these young influencers young people are uh, influencers and good for you um tell your story be proud and uh just do do your passions do what you're you really like doing right yeah but both are competitive barrel racers correct yeah yeah, yeah. my daughter plays for the calgary fire uh the double a team with jordan fenton okay jordan fenton's team and my wife, she's also a, a barrel racer that travels. Two-sport athlete. Two-sport athlete, yeah. She won the INFR a couple of years ago in the barrel racing. And my wife's a two-time INFR champ, and she won the barrel racing in Vegas. A mother-daughter combo, first time to win it. And she's also a pro rodeo athlete. So she's living in the States right now, uh, traveling the circuit rodeoing and chasing her dreams and also a business owner of the dh ranch that is that's pretty cool yeah. you've mentioned it you're wearing the hat i've got it and i'm in here and we are talking about it because i think it's really it's it's not enough just to say you do and the dh ranch is what you're giving back can you just tell us a little bit about the what's behind it and and what goes into the dh ranch well, the DH Ranch really goes back to my family. Mm -hmm. And my family lived on the DH Ranch from the early 1900s. My grandmother and my grandpa and all my uncles, aunts, they were raised there. And it's really just paying uh, homage to my Grammy, my grandma and my grandpa. But the DH Ranch is used to educate people about the, uh, my grandmother, Katie, who lived in the res. She she lived till she was 102 years old, and she was one of the very first residential school survivors on our nation. But really, it is is just talking about the resiliency and the strength that uh, it took her to survive through residential schools. But all the values, the ranch and values, the horses, the animals, and also the traditional values that she taught us. Uh, traditional meaning uh, land-based knowledge that we incorporate into our ranch. So our ranch, um, we take in clients, whether it's uh, men's programs, empowerment programs, uh, women's empowerment programs, or addictions programs. And we really use land-based uh, techniques and traditional teachings. And uh, we use communication through the horse. So we mm. use the horse as an uh, equine animal to help. Uh, he's, they're the facilitators, and we just, we help. And uh, we've had thousands of people that have come through, and uh, they utilize the ranch as a place to uh, really find their spirit again and just uh, reconnect from uh, technology and just step into a whole area of where it's based around traditional culture, equine knowledge, sports, uh, just a place to, to unwind and um, 
take care of your mind, body, and soul. Kind of quietly, you've also assisted with some very important healing too, right? That you've, you know, especially in the indigenous community, I know last year we had the tragedy in, in Saskatchewan and I don't know if everybody knows this, but you, you kind of have an active role in the healing. Well, I think that we're very blessed with TikTok and TikTok was our avenue to uh, get the programs out there that my wife and mm-hmm. our whole family is putting on. Yep. And when the tragedy happened out in James Smith, uh, they reached out to us and asked us if we they could use the ranch as a place to help their nation go through some of the tragedies that they've been through. And I'm very grateful for the Chief Wally Burns and some of his health team to reach out to us. And we've designed a program uh, based around uh, empowerment mm-hmm. and using our culture, using our traditions, but also using sports and our traditional games to really help them uh, go through some of the toughest times they've they've been through in their life. And uh, my hat really goes off to the survivors of that community because not only did they they really helped us but they they taught us true resiliency they have stories to tell and they were able to share those stories it was so emotional because we took on uh you know i'd have to say 80 or 90 uh affected people from the james smith tragedy and uh there was a lot of uh tears shed but there was a lot of laughter and there was a lot of healing and we used uh, sports, equine animals, horses, and we used the tradition and cultures to help heal. And I could honestly say that's been the most impactful um, program or the most impact that we've ever had, or they had impact on us. And it's that, that community forever changed my life in a positive way. How do you deal with the heaviness of that or some of the other topics that you're doing, you are not dealing with fun things at times and it's, it's gotta be heavy for you. So how do you handle that Brent? I, well, you know, I think it's really important to have a a balanced approach Mm -hmm. mentally and spiritually and physically. Um, I tell you right after James Smith, uh, um, you know, exited the DH ranch that, uh, you have a mixed emotions because they were able to talk about that day and what happened. But, uh, we as a group smudged and we talked about it and we talked about every single person's journey that they talked about. And we prayed and we just prayed to the creator that we asked that, uh, the creator watches all over the people Mm -hmm. that were affected. And we prayed for healing and we went through our own little ceremonies but we also were thankful that they were able to heal and cry and laugh. And uh, just by them coming to the ranch and seeing the smiles on their faces and having a f- uh, handful of people saying thank you, that we changed their lives in a good way, that their kids weren't able to talk, laugh, speak for months and months that where they were emotionless that they were able to uh, show emotion, that's that meant the world to us. And we knew we were doing something right. Can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. All right. You've now been living with multiple sclerosis for five years, four years? Four and a half years. Four and a half years. Yeah. 
tell us about it. How has how has that impacted you and impacted your view on on what you do? Well, MS has forever changed my life. I was diagnosed four and a half years ago. I um, my whole body shut down. Um, lost a vision in my eyes, practically in a wheelchair and a cane. Um, but it's changed my life forever. When that that time happened, I thought my life was over. I literally thought I was going to die. Um, I just literally prayed to the creator and just asked him to put good people in my life. And um, so I went, what, what ended up happening, Rob, was I went all natural. Mm-hmm. I chose not to go on big pharma. I didn't go on medication. I changed my life around. I went from not being sorry for myself to being positive, quit smoking, quit drinking, changed my whole physical presence around, start working out, treated my body like uh, the way I should be treating it, uh, took care of my mind, my body, and my spirit, um, went all natural vitamins health-wise, and just start living every day like it's my last day. And I um, walked away from a very, very high-paying job just to do impact initiatives yep. because I just feel that uh, we have a time frame on, on this earth and that I wanted to do the, the things that truly mattered to me. And uh, it's, it's forever changed my life. I still you know, have uh, symptoms here and there, mm-hmm. but I have to take care of myself but there's not a day that goes by that uh, I don't I don't regret what I'm doing. Let's just say I, I wake up every day and I'm really grateful and thankful for what I'm able to do on that day. And every day I'm doing something different. It's so trite to say it, but you're living your best life. That's right. Right? Yeah. And you have a purpose. That's right. Yeah. So every day I'm excited to do, <laughs> I was so excited to talk to you today <laughs> because I'm able to talk about sports and diversity and tell my story. Yep. Um, tomorrow I get to go to the saddle dome and work with the elders and we're doing uh, traditional ceremonies with our people. We get to hang out the saddle dome for two or three days. Uh, we're able to uh, work in the sports world and uh, indigenous people are, uh, thriving they're doing well and we're educating people right now and we're building good relationships you are uh as i said before still the most popular former hitman uh for the organization now nearing its 30th anniversary um and it shocks me every time i look at it you were there for two years but your impact was so great what was it what was it about that time in your life Brent, what was it about the marriage between Brent Dodging Horse and the Calgary Hitman that seemed to work so well? Uh, it's tough to put into one or two minutes, mm-hmm. but I think it was like coming home and being able to come and play in my backyard. And because you bounced around, right? Yeah, in junior A. I bounced around junior A and I was cut for major junior. I was told I was too small, told I wasn't good enough. But I think the more times that you're being told you're not good enough, it almost inspires you, makes you work harder. I was an underdog my whole life. So I always just thrive myself on working hard and doing the best I can and just believing in myself. So I think coming home to Calgary was an opportunity to prove to myself, not everybody in the hockey world has this opportunity to play in their, their hometown or their, their own backyard, but to prove to myself that I belonged here and just, you know, 
just maybe a little side note to hockey players don't ever give up on yourself Mm-mm. i started on the, the bench <laughs> i i never i was in the press box for most of the time and then i went from the fourth line to the third line to the second line to the first line but i worked my bag off i remember there's days at the saddle dome where i wasn't uh playing and i'd just be running the saddle dome stairs every day with late late chris fleming told me your chance is coming stay in shape so that's what we kept on doing and is yeah. you got to believe in yourself and you got to give yourself that mental edge by just saying positive things to yourself and never give up and i think that's why it was so special the flames at the time weren't so good they didn't make the playoffs so uh calgary loves winners and they get behind winners and uh, the hitman at the time had a good team and they really supported us and uh, just grateful for that opportunity it seems like yesterday but it was many winters ago yeah it does but it's still and i know it's not the result you were wanting but still one of the most memorable memorial cups of all time too just because of the craziness of it all right yeah i think going down to ottawa and uh just being the underdogs and the way that things turned out and, you know, playing against the great Brian Kilray and mm-hmm. Bell and all these NHL stars that played a lot of years, but we had good players too. And just the way things kind of turned out was, uh, it always still kind of brings up a little bit of a, a sour taste in my mouth right. because we lost in overtime, yep. but, uh, most definitely it was a good experience. And, uh, at the end of the day, we had such a, great group of guys and we all played our distinctive roles right down to a T and it's, it was a good bunch of guys. What does it mean to be Bret Hart's favorite uh, hockey player? Still kind of surreal, really. (laughs) You kind of pinch yourself and you look in your phone and you see Bret Hart's cell phone and a few texts and you think back and you tell your daughter about some stories where he used to go to his mansion and hang out and, Blade Hart was one of your good buddies and all the Hart Foundation used to come down after the game. Um, Owen Hart, uh, Anvil Hart, they were all behind and they were down at the Saddle Dome. You know, there's so many good stories, but you almost have to pinch yourself. Like these were guys that were like in your corner and backing you up and supporting you. But I'm very grateful for these opportunities and, you know, having the chance to, to rub shoulders with you know one of the greatest iconic athletes in Canada's history, right? Brett the Hitman Hart, and to be a part of his little small crew and be able to call him up and call him a friend—that's that's you know he's just he's just a good guy. There's yeah. nothing more to say, but just his whole family are good people. No, and and I'm excited. He, you know, he's getting the honor he deserves next weekend when they raise his his banner up at the dome, right? Um, you know, who who else? Like I, that's always been the bit of anomaly with that team is there's nobody else in the world that has a team named after them like that right or a team named after someone like that it's such a cool only in calgary thing right yeah there's not too many people that uh are definitely like brett one of the original owners i remember going to swift kern and moose jaw and because we had a little bit of pink on our jerseys they used to give it to us but we were proud of it we were proud that we were a part of brett that Brett, the Hitman Hearts hockey team. And uh, we, we we took pride in repping his jerseys and him being the original, original owner. Yep. That was that was pretty cool. And then being able to 
to really understand where he came from and how hard he worked mm -hmm. as an athlete to be in the dungeon and yep. him and personally inviting us to the dungeon and to be a, a part of like some of the exercises. What was, was that like? Oh my God, that was unreal. Like the history in that building yeah. and to see, you know, all the Cadillacs outside were so cool. The bear wasn't under the deck, eh? No, oh, okay. no, no, okay. no. The bear wasn't under the deck, but they had all the training inside and outside. Uh, we also went to his, he had a place out in Springbank at the time. Yeah. And he had another place in town. But uh, just to see the passion of sports and and wrestling and how they trained mm -hmm. and how they uh, they were ambassadors and they took care of their bodies and their mental well-being was, was pretty cool. Did, so they're good people to look up to. Did he... Were you the team? You would have been around when when he showed up on t Monday night with the jersey, right? Like you, you remember that? Was that a big deal for the team when he wore the Hitman jersey on? I think it was WCW or something like that. But he showed up wearing your your, your jersey. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, was it actually? No, it was a Hitman jersey. Oh, yeah, Hitman no, 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 yeah, no, no. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yes, no, yeah. no. But yeah, but uh, was, yeah, Calgary jersey. That was pretty cool. He was. He's a proud Calgary, and he always yeah. reps his team, and Absolutely. he was so proud of it. And I think it was, uh, you know, it was kind of funny because all the guys on the team were like wrestling fans, and I was shy. I didn't really, I didn't have, I didn't watch much TV, but I, I definitely knew. Yeah. But they knew all the wrestlers and the words <laughs> and the mimics and the dances. Jared Smithson back in the day, <laughs> he Cre did, eh? Crestavant, Cresto, Crusty. Yeah. They, they knew all, but it was cool. Like we. You know, Brett would hook us up with tickets when they would come to town, and as a group, we would go and watch. But it's, uh, it, yeah, it brings back memories and it kind of shows how older I'm getting to. No, but you know, here we, we've talked about some really important heavy stuff, and the through line has been sport, and the through line is about being part of a team and the value in that. And here you are, 20 some odd years later. Back to the nicknames, back to the smiles. Like it, 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 we, that's the value of this. That's the value of the whole sporting endeavor, is it not? Is being part of something. Oh, yeah. I think sports has so many life lessons. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what the stats are on uh, making the NHL. What is it? Zero, zero, yeah, point one. Exactly. And then what are the stats on making the dub or the O? Zero, zero, point three. And then when you look back of the players and teammates you played with, how many players that I played with actually made the show and how long did they play? I could just name a handful. Yep. Jared Smith and um, Brad Stewart. You know, there's a yeah. few. There's a guy, there's some guys that had lengthy careers, but what did they have? They had good personalities. They were good people. Yep. They worked hard. Yeah. And some of the most talented players, they never made it. They never had a career. So it's very important that these young individuals and youth and hockey players that they understand that it's so important just to be good people and good leaders in mm -hmm. their communities because hockey will eventually take you back to being a leader whether you're in business or in oil and gas or uh, whether you're a police officer or a firefighter it's or a leader for your nation that it has so many values that it's going to teach you you uh, were a long-serving leader of your nation. You just recently came off a of council. Um, and I, I don't want to put in words in your mouth, but I would think you have a, a, a great deal of pride with the Jim Starlight Center and the, the Seven Chiefs Arena, the facility out there. And 
I thought it was really kind of neat uh, that the Canadian Special Olympics Winter Games are coming to Calgary next year. And, and it, I believe one of the facilities, is it not? Uh, hosting, which I think when we first came and saw you and there was dust everywhere and, and there was nothing up and, and you were showing us around, you were talking about that. We want this to be a place where the country comes, where the world comes. We want to be world class. You achieve that. Well, I'm not going to take credit for it again. But we as a group, mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to be a, a co-chair, to chair chair that building and be able to strike a committee and work together. So our, our chief at the time, Chief Roy Whitney, struck a committee and I was able to be the co-chair. And we just brought people together and we heard everybody's opinion and voice and we worked together. And at the end result is this beautiful Seven Chiefs building with the Jim Starlight Center. And uh, I missions accomplished because we're able to bring all different types of individuals together through sport tradition and culture and under one roof we're able to educate and all work together through sports and uh we've had the calgary flames uh um training camp there Mm -hmm. they skate there on option days they train there uh the hitmen play exhibition games there during covid uh i season was if the season was there yeah and it all comes down to relationships and partnerships um because of that uh they put in a good word to team canada we've hosted team canada we've had the dream gap tour mm-hmm. um it just continues to grow and grow so that's the importance of building relationships and partnerships and uh it's such an important place for the community because it's a hub where every identity is represented in that building but again, it must be some satisfaction that your vision has, you know, come true, right? In in that regard, well, it's what you want, and that's what you ended up getting. Yeah, yeah. It's I take guidance from our elders mm-hmm. and our nation, and I'm just able to help facilitate it. And you know me, I'll never take credit no. for it, but I'm always going to uh, be a voice for our people and just be an advocate to do the right thing. Um, as we kind of wind down here, I do want to. Um, pick your brain a little bit um we talk about minor hockey and minor sports minor hockey in particular you've done a lot of work and have spoken to a lot of people are are we getting better when it comes to dei issues are we making some headway yes and no okay yes in the term of the conversations happen Mm -hmm. um in terms of the conversation of uh diversity inclusion Look at some of the templates that are out there that are, are, are working. Toronto Maple Leafs, Edmonton Oilers, Calgary's doing a, um, a good job. Uh, the Hitmen are doing a good job. Uh, Alberta, Canada, and Hockey Calgary are, um, are a little slower. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be able to see that at a, at a level to where they, they kind of speed it up, but they're still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very important to, uh, be able to use this as a platform to understand the whole scope, the big picture. I see uh, things happening in Canada for the better. Um, but I think where the movements happen is on the grassroots level. And that's where the grassroots level are always the ones that are moving the needle. Right. And I, I truly think that it is getting better. I'm always the type of guy that says we can do a little better or we can push a little more. 
or uh, maybe there it can be done this way and it'd be nice to have a grassroots summary uh, summit to where everybody's gets together and we talk about some of the issues and uh, I, I truly think the change really happens on the grassroots and hopefully at the board levels and the yep. big bosses and the decision makers way up top uh, you know we can work with them because they're a big part of it too and that's education and awareness see I'm, I'm glad you said that um, earlier this week, there was a story in, uh, I believe in the, in post media, Akeem Alou in the GTHL, Akeem was trying to get a, a AAA team in the GTHL. And, you know, he talked about the importance of, of people, uh, you know, of color seeing themselves at the highest level. And I've heard that before, but, and I knew you were coming on. So I wanted to ask you about this. I am critical of that thinking. I, I don't think it's about having AAA teams teams. I think it's about entry level. I think it's about building the pyramid from the bottom. I think it's about making sure that everybody feels like they have access to the game. I've always felt that the elite player will rise and will find a home. And I'm a little worried sometimes. Not, I'm not mad at Akeem Alou. I just think he was an elite player that came through the system. So that's what he knows. But you say grassroots summit. And I get excited about that because I think we just need to get kids involved. We need to get the, the, the high performance, the elite stuff will come, won't it? Well, I think the template models were already out there. If you look at the Beardies Blackhawks. Yep. The Beardies Blackhawks were uh, situated in Saskatchewan and Beardies, Saskatchewan, just outside of Saskatoon. They had a midget AAA team. Yeah. And their mandate was to have a percentage of uh, uh, Indigenous hockey players on there. Mm -hmm. But they also had Caucasian or white players sure. on there. So they mixed it. So it was a mix of Indigenous, um, but also uh, ally players, which was pretty which in my mind was good. Right. So what it did was create a lot of uh, awareness that these players can play at that level. And if they were given the right opportunity, they can excel. Some of those players went on to play in the NHL. So, which is a good thing. So I, I see where Akeem's coming from, but at the same token, um, it would be nice to see an all um, BIPOC team or indigenous team. And, but I also see where the funding agencies won't do that either because they're afraid of poaching or they're afraid of other players going there. But me coming from a BIPOC player, an indigenous mm -hmm. player, I've, I, I witness it and I see it on um, courage bear is my wife's uh, cousin and he runs an indigenous Academy out in Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. And that's so important for indigenous people to see um, double a and triple a and, uh, under 20 or under 18 teams play because they're given an opportunity and uh, they have first nation coaches, GMs, sponsors, funders. So what it does from a person of color is uh, it gives them that sense of pride. And then when it gives them that sense of pride, other indigenous or uh, BIPOC players are watching and saying, Hey, if they can do it, I can do it too. And I see the separation side too. So you know, that's why it's important to have these summits to talk about it and right. see how we can navigate through them. Right. Um, I would truly love it if we had a program like in Europe to where it was all based right from the grassroots level. But, you know, it's, you know, Ted Nolan's out there uh, really advocating on behalf of Indigenous people to have a uh, Indigenous Olympic team mm -hmm. or a men's national team. Mm -hmm. And I think what that would do for our Indigenous communities is really empower them and say, hey, you can play there. We got... Uh, well, they have that in lacrosse, do they not? Oh, yeah. 
yeah right yeah they they compete on uh, Iroquois nationals compete at the national level yeah and there that's uh so is that the blueprint then well i think that's uh definitely a blueprint but uh you know how many players indigenous players do we have in the nhl right now we have six and we all know them and we look up to them ethan bear mm-hmm. uh, seth jarvis Carey Price is not active, but in my mind, he's no, still yeah. active. Zach Whitecloud. Zach Whitecloud is an amazing player. You know, there's so many players out there. There's also Métis players out there. Yeah. Tanner, Tanner, you know, yeah. he's, he's Métis. Yeah. That was a ridiculous trade. <laughs> All of those draft picks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one is. Anyway, that's just a sideline. I haven't even had time to look at the trades. Honestly, I've been really busy. Five, with the... five, draft, five draft picks and a player. Wow. Oh, yeah. So Tampa Tampa wanted him in the worst way. He's right? an impact player, right? Absolutely. And that's exactly what Tampa, and Tampa knows how to win. So they were fine giving up what it took because they knew what they needed. Yeah. There's uh, there's regular season players, and then there's playoff players. Says a playoff player who I'm talking to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to learn to elevate your game up in the playoffs. It's a whole different season. Absolutely. Yeah. I, well, since we're doing this, I do want to uh, also uh, flag and and make mention of Devin Buffalo and the work that he's doing yeah. uh, in goaltending and 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 but in all of it. I mean, I, it's important because he invited some of our superheroes goalies out to his camp at, at Seven Chiefs, and yeah. that's inclusion too, right? Like, One Sky um, Athletics, yeah. Big shout out to Devin. Uh, leaders, played, right? Played uh, NCAA Ivy School. Yeah, smart kid, educated. Uh, took his hockey. And his education to a whole new level. And uh, what he did was uh, he he really just started educating people yep. and working with the Indigenous youth and goaltenders and using his strengths and using his voice too. So yep. big shout out to Devin and what he does, Wanska Athletics. Yeah, Wacy Rabbit too, right? Oh, Wacy's Wacy's on, he's on staff in Saskatoon now, right? Wacy's going to be featured at the game tomorrow night at the Saddle. Though. He is, is he? Yeah, there's, I think, seven or eight Indigenous players they're going to feature. Okay. If they're not big features, but they're just glimpses of their career. And it's important that Treaty 7 territory recognizes some of these athletes that played pro or major junior that, in my mind, are role models, are yeah. influencers. <clears throat> Wacy and Judd Blackwater. Wacy's still assistant coach right now with yep. uh, the Saskatoon Blades. Yep. Had a long 14-year career. And it's just amazing to play that many games in Europe and the dub and the A, the East Coast. He's been a journeyman and also a leader in First Nation communities and on and off the ice. Anything else you want to tell us about tomorrow? Um, I'm just truly excited about the whole day. I, I, I am too because it's yeah. not... I use this example all the time. What bugged me when I first started doing this was let's have an octopus game and celebrate octopuses. We'll wear an octopus jersey, have an octopus sing the national anthem, and we'll do an octopus video. But we're done. Thank you. We just recognize octopuses. And I only use that as an example because it's safe. There's an actual investment tomorrow of time, commitment, energy into showcasing the culture, explaining what the seven, you know, Treaty Seven Nations are all about highlighting it my criticism not yours and i i want everybody to understand that stop making it a practice jersey make it the darn game jersey but that's an nhl thing that's nothing to do with the calgary flames right yeah but i we showed it earlier man you don't think that would make a awesome looking third or alternate or whatever like there's something there right 
Yeah, let's just say it all start. It started quite a few months ago in the in mm-hmm. the process, but tomorrow morning there's uh, you know some traditional ceremonies that are going to happen with the traditional leaders of each nation and the chiefs. Uh, they're going to go through a protocol that's going to happen at the Saddle Dome, and then after that, the elders will watch the pregame skate. And then after the pregame skate, they'll have a break, and then we get ready about five or six o'clock, and then they'll start going through. Uh, uh, what's really cool is each nation is going to provide a, a, a princess, okay. which is a traditional princess that yeah. represents each nation, yeah. that represents their culture and their background and their language and their people. Mm-hmm. Uh, elder knowledge keeper will be there at the beginning of the game, but also each chief is going to be in attendance to drop the puck. And then they're going to have tribute videos of uh, the the land of the traditional territories. And throughout the game, there's going to be special acknowledgments to uh, Treaty 7, but also the Métis people, but also uh, Indigenous uh, sports leaders. And um, Delana Blackhorse is going to be singing the, the national anthem. And she's a young, uh, beautiful uh, a singer from Sixaga that's going to sing in her native tongue. Uh, there's native artisans that uh, beaded for this special event. And you're going to see some indigenous allies repping some earrings and some beautiful swag. You're going to see uh, Tyler White and his gang out there that are going to be doing amazing things with ECM and educating yeah. people about Every Child Matters game. Uh, you're also going to see traditional uh, drum songs. You're going to see uh, a First Nation DJ, Caleb Simeon, rocking the warm-up. And then uh, during the warm-up, you're going to see uh, Indigenous-inspired jersey from uh, uh, Mr. Alexis and yeah. uh, Mr. Running Rabbit, and it's it's just gonna, there's a cool vibe to it because it's Indigenous-inspired, but it was uh, handcrafted by Indigenous people. This whole event was, and uh, with the collaboration with the Calgary Flames, yeah. And uh, you know, it's there's so many things that are kind of. There's so many things you want to do mm-hmm. and so many things you can't do because of the NHL restrictions yep. and the timeframes. Yep. Yep. So it's not about a competition, I'll tell you that, but it's about just doing the right thing. Still, it's better than Edmonton. Uh, no, I'm just, <laughs> now, having said that, is Dr. Littlechild coming to this? Is, I, is, I, I don't know. Because if, he, if is. he is, none of that Edmonton oiler crap with yeah. him. You know him. He's yeah. always... Yeah, I think we have our own leaders in our communities and our territories. I'm I'm pretty sure that our uh, the leadership of each nation will be repping Calgary colors, and uh, you know, just to see the Blasty logo and the sweaters, and you know, hopefully, uh, the the people of Calgary and all Flames fans will support these jerseys and support the sweaters, and hopefully, one day they could be a part of uh, the swag and uh, the Flames. Saddle them. I love it. Yeah. Um, are you going to go back and help with development camp again this year? Do you think? Uh, I have, I'll, I'll help wherever I can. I'm always uh, an ambassador of the Calgary Flames and CSEC, and uh, I was rep. I know, the, I know the Hitman, the Calgary Hitman, and um, I, whenever they call them there, um, my passion is the DH Ranch, my diversity, and what I'm doing there. But whenever the Flames call or CSEC call, I'm always there to help. Um, Normally on the show, we're only six in, but normally I have a reading assignment. I have a, 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 a watching assignment. Tonight's viewing. Um, everybody go to my, they just put it out on Twitter. Dodging Horse, One Man's Heroic Crusade Against Racism. You can find it on uh, YouTube. It's definitely worth the, the the watch to learn a little bit more about my friend. Um, thank you. 
Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your mentorship. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for coming on the show. But um, just thank you because you are one of the best, dude. You are just one of the best. Yeah. See you, Scott. Appreciate it, Rob. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Brent Dodginghorse, everybody. Kind enough to come in the Oodle Noodle studio today. Oodle Noodle, we bring the heat. Try their butter chicken, mac and cheese, Kung Pao noodles, Bangkok Pad Thai classic, vegetarian and gluten-friendly options. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest and 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. Pickup and delivery at both. Oh, let me get it back square. I'm, I'm moving around here. So I'll get back square in the picture. Um, again, you know what? Uh, let's do the last let's do our final mile here let's let's get right into it because uh, i want to start off uh tipping my hat to frank and tyler and mike and i'm missing a whole bunch of other people matt and everybody who was part of dfo's trade deadline show today today was the trade deadline in the national hockey league if you caught the dfo trade deadline show uh, they did an amazing job it looked spectacular absolutely spectacular so I want to tip my hat to them. I want to tip my hat to the Calgary Surge. They were at the Genesis Center last night holding a little uh, home team party, a little block party, and it it was awesome. They had their DJ there. They had their team there, and they had games and face paint and stuff. And let me tell you, the people at the Genesis Center were fired up for basketball. One week from today, Jason Ribeiro, one of the owners, part owner, of the surge in studio with us. We're going to talk basketball, but it was really cool to see. Um, want to mention Special Olympics. The 2024 Canada Winter Games are coming to Calgary. Great opportunity as a guy who's been bitching and moaning about our city getting uh, big events. Here's one. So if you're interested in volunteering, watch. They're going to be looking for volunteers. They're going to need Calgarians to do what Calgarians do best. What they do best. And that's get out and welcome the rest of our country. Um, that will do it. Uh, can I just say that, uh, this week has been fantastic and I encourage you to go back and listen to the show on Wednesday, Brody DuPont, the head coach of the Cardiff Wales, another Calgary hip. That's two in a row, two in a row, uh, as well. Uh, boy, Danny Austin was a lot of fun. Uh, beginning of the week, Adam Seaborn was with us and that was a great conversation. Monday, Kelsey Snow. Sorry, I'm sad podcast. Kelsey writes is her blog the better half of Chris Snow of the uh, Calgary Flames. Now, Chris, if you're following social media, is in hospital right now, but expected to be back home tomorrow, we hope. And I uh, did talk to Kelsey, and she's going to be here with us. Um, one last shout-out, uh, two last shout-outs. One to Jared Sharp, who's – what's his title? Like, what is he? Like, is he head technician? Is he head programmer? What is he? Um, he's the overlord. He is the Wolverine. Dude has worked his 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 ass off. I'm going to swear. S sorry, Ty, I owe you something. Uh, but he has worked his ass off to to get this show rolling, and he's the one that's responsible for changing the set and, and everything like that. And he's here all weekend. He's sending me texts. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? I really appreciate the work, and I also appreciate the work of Princey here. Mark Prince stepped into the breach this week and helped us as a producer and uh, actually had to step – you want to talk about stepping in it had to do the barn burner this morning. So it's been a long day for him and they have been nothing but incredible. And to you, my friends, my family and everybody, thank you so much. You continue your support, continue to uh, appreciate it. Everybody seems to be loving the show, the direction of the show. I am, I know I'm having a ton of fun. So with that said, enjoy your weekend, get out, do something fun, 
and just, you know what? If the walls are closing in, if it's getting dark, ask for some help. We're always here. Please do that. We, we, we all know what everybody's been going through the last couple of years. Have some fun this weekend. Make some time for you. We're back on Monday. Thanks, gang. You're the best. You are the freaking best. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.